Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, in today for Mina Kim. Coming up, county jails are intended to hold people not yet convicted of a crime for relatively short periods of time. But a new analysis by Cal Matters found that more than 44,000 people are being held in California jails without being convicted or sentenced to prison. Most are people of color, men especially, and we'll find out what's behind the numbers and how the pandemic has made things worse. Then we'll talk with the author of a story about how Facebook and Instagram are tailor-made for COVID-19 conspiracy theories. All that coming up next on Forum, right after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer, and today for Mina Kim. Well, as you may know, every county in California has jails where people arrested are held while they await trial or sentencing or a relatively quick release. But a new study by Cal Matters found that more than 44,000 people in California are being held in jails without being sentenced or convicted. 1,300 of those have been waiting for more than five years. And keep in mind the jails are not really intended to hold people that long. That's why we have state-run prisons. Well, joining us now to talk about this issue is Robert Lewis, reporter with Cal Matters and author of the report, Waiting for Justice. Robert, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let me just begin by asking you, how did you go about putting all this data together? So I, at the start of the year, I put in uh, public records requests to uh, all 58 county sheriff's departments, basically asking for rosters of pretrial detainees. Um, I'd say roughly half, a little more than half, uh, ended up sending me the, the detailed records. The rest either couldn't because they they sort of technically can't separate sentenced versus unsentenced inmates. Um, For some, they basically just directed me to an online website that I had to basically scrape um, and use court records to to try to ID which inmates were sentenced as opposed to unsentenced. And so I I, uh, mentioned some of the data at the top there, but uh, give us a little more detail on what you found. Sure. So, uh, in across the state, uh, I found about 1,300 more, at least 1,300 uh, jail inmates who have been behind bars for three years or longer, unsentenced. Uh, about 330, I think it was 320, uh, who've been behind bars for five years or longer. In the uh, counties that provided me with the detailed uh, records, there were, uh, I believe it was 5,800 inmates who'd been behind bars unsentenced for, for at least a year. So some, some pretty large numbers. 
And, you know, there is a constitutional right to a speedy trial. So, like, why are they there? Well, there's a, there's a bunch of different factors. I mean, yes, uh, defendants do have a right to a speedy trial. They can assert that right. Uh, very often, they will their attorney will waive it. Um, and will will request continuances um, so they can prepare a case. Uh, if, if you talk to prosecutors, they put a lot of the blame on on the defense side, saying, you know, hey, we have to be ready to go, and it's the defendants who are asking for for more time. Um, and and some prosecutors even allege it's a it's a strategy uh, to use delay because cases don't age well. Uh, defendants or uh, excuse me, witnesses die or, or lose interest in cooperating. On the flip side, you, you talk to the defense and advocates and they say this is a result of having incredibly draconian sentences here in, in California uh, between sentencing enhancements, the, the three strikes law, and that it, it uh, you know, their their clients are facing such enormous amounts of time that they have to do everything they can possibly do to to defend these cases and they also accuse prosecutors of, of loading on the charges knowing that a defendant is going to be sitting behind bars and it uh, puts pressure on them to take a plea um and and i guess lastly i'd say there there is also a, a blame to go on the courts and and judges uh and their ability to manage their calendars we're talking with Robert Lewis from CalMatters about his report uh, titled Waiting for Justice. And if uh, you want to join us, I'm going to open up the phone lines early because this is uh, a relatively short segment, half hour. So give us a call at 866-733-6786 if you'd like to join the conversation, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or if you prefer... We take email as well, forum at kqed.org. Um, and we'd especially like to hear from you if you have been in this situation, in jail, or you have loved ones who uh, are currently or formerly in that situation. Uh, we'd love to hear from you especially. Uh, Robert, in terms of the demographics of who these 44,000-plus folks are, overwhelmingly men, I I'm sure, uh, what else? Well, certainly uh, the majority appear to be uh, black or uh, labeled as Latino, Hispanic. Uh, I ended up getting demographic data for, I believe it was 21 of the counties. And I'll give you just one small sort of those striking example. In, in San Francisco, where about 5% of the population is black, uh, more than half, roughly 50%, uh, I think it was 111 out of 220 jail inmates there for longer than a year are black. So some pretty striking disparities uh, when it comes to race. And what is the, the county say about that? What is the, 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 the sheriff, the DA, the public defender, the mayor? What, what are you hearing? Well, I talked to I talked to the uh, public or excuse me, the uh, district attorney in San Francisco. And, and you know, he acknowledges that uh, there is a, a major backlog. Um, you know, he says that when he came into office, um, there was some large percentage of, of cases more than two years old. And, and one of the first things that that he did was try to tackle that backlog. Um, but the the pandemic has really uh made made everything so much more difficult. And I think that's an important point is that is that um, you know, these delays in the court system existed before the pandemic. Uh, and then now we've we've gone a year where uh, trials have been pushed back, hearings have been delayed, uh, you know, some some courtrooms have been shuttered. And so um, what was a bad situation before certainly seems to be a, sort of a crisis point now. Yeah, and obviously the pandemic uh, does not explain why people have been in 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 jail for five years or three years. As you said, there's there's hundreds, over a thousand actually, people in that situation. Um, what, what you know, to what extent do these, the sheriffs, because they run the jails, uh, do they say that this this is because of the pandemic? 
you know, I, I got to say the sheriffs, I don't think really have a huge role other than the fact that they also, you know, operate uh, effectively policing agencies. I mean, they, they hold these individuals. This is, I think, in many ways, a court story um, and a story about defenders and a story about prosecutors. Um, the, the sheriffs, you know, when I would talk to them to get the data, they would sort of you know, often say, acknowledge, say, yeah, some of these people have been in here for a very, very long time. Um, so, you know, I don't know that, I don't necessarily think that they have a, a role or much of a role in the, uh, in the length of this, of these pretrial detentions. Yeah. Well, what about, uh, you mentioned this is a court's thing. Uh, the Judicial Council oversees all of that. And the Chief Justice of the California Supreme Court, Tani Cantil Sakaue, has taken some steps, I think, to fast track some of these criminal proceedings. Any sense of whether that's helped? Um, you know, I think there there are still efforts underway to address the backlog. There's there are certain things that are being discussed as part of the the budget negotiations. Um, you know, they've they've taken some efforts to make things uh, proceedings remote. Um, they they've also uh, tried to lift the caps on on retired judges who are basically sent in to to help a lot of these uh, various courts, county courts, clear the backlog. So you know, I think they're they do appear to be taking some some steps to address it um you know i do i do think that there is an issue or a, or a challenge in the fact that uh you know i don't think they have a full picture of of how bad the situation is the data in this state is is stunningly bad there is no sort of centralized uh data and and the judicial council doesn't appear to know how bad the backlog is at this point and and to me that calls into question their ability to effectively uh provide oversight so you're pulling together this data is really the first time it's been done in a comprehensive way very much so. I mean, I, I reached out to them early on just sort of saying, well, how bad is the backlog? How, how, how many old cases do you have? And, and you know, they can't answer that question. Um, I, I reached out to the, to the BSCC, the, I think it's the Board of State and Community Corrections, which oversees jails and, and said, hey, you know, could you let me know how many, how many inmates have been behind bars for more than a year? And they said, well, you know, we, we don't know that information. You're going to have to reach out to the individual counties. So it, it, it took a lot of work sort of pulling it all together because at the at the state level they they don't really have the picture all right i want to bring our listeners into this and again the number to call if you want to join us 866-733-6786 866-733-6786 talking with robert lewis from cal matters about his report titled waiting for justice and let's begin with anna welcome anna are you there Oh, hi. Hi. I didn't hear you say my name. Hi. Um, uh, thank you for covering this topic. Um, if I just want to say in the last year, it's uh, really um, a wound that has been uh, revisited as a result of just like hearing about all the people stuck in, in jail and in prison, unable to get out while uh, the pandemic runs rapid. Um, my, my family, personally, uh, I've been affected, but three immediate members of my family have been negatively affected by the criminal justice system in California. My uh, mother developed a lifelong uh, battle with uh, drug addiction um, when she was jailed in her uh, early 20s. And uh, I have an older brother who was put in and out of juvie, and then he ended up committing suicide by cop. Mm. And my father, which most relates to this story, in um, 92, 93, he, we lived in El Monte, California, and he was arrested for selling marijuana. 
and he uh, died in a meningitis outbreak awaiting trial. He was trying to get time served because I was uh, I was really young at the time. I was like two years old, and so he wanted to get back to our family. But um, he was in middle California, uh, and he ended up catching, he was one of the first three people to die of a meningitis outbreak. Mm. And uh, what's interesting is that we lived in Omani, but the 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 cops that came to get him or the task force that came to get him had been from Glendale, California. Um, and it's, it's just really frustrating when I hear stories nearly 30 years later that are similar. And mm. people still know that there are millions of people being affected by yeah. this. So, Anna, your, your father was awaiting trial or was he awaiting some kind yes. of a plea deal? Or Yeah, he was. so he, he died while he was waiting, waiting for trial. What did you hear from uh, the county? And El Monte, this, was this in L.A. County? Um, I, my family ended up not having any, they tried to sue, uh, the, the county, um, but the, the case ended up kind of fizzling out, and I think there was a, a deal signed by my family not to pursue, um, as like a payout kind of thing. I really don't know, because I was a toddler at the time, and I've tried to look into it recently, and it's just so long ago that those records are really hard to access. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, Anna, thank you so much. I'm sorry for all the hardship your family has gone through, including, of course, your dad. But I want to really thank you for sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for talking about it. I'm just glad that the, that the world is coming around because there are people out there like me who are affected or are trying to live our lives. I'm like, why are we? Why is life so hard? It shouldn't be. It yeah. shouldn't be. And thank goodness for reports like this coming out that maybe we'll make some change. All right. Well, thanks again. We're going to continue this conversation with Robert Lewis from Cal Matters. Feel free to join us. We'd love to hear from you at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We are at KQED Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. And we will continue our conversation after a short break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here with Robert Lewis from CalMatters, a reporter who uh, authored this latest report uh, called Waiting for Justice about all the people behind bars in jail awaiting sentencing or trial. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, 866-733-6786. And Robert, before I go back to the phones, uh, Anna, the first caller, um, alluded to juveniles. And I'm just wondering, of these people that you're uh, describing uh, who are in jail for so long, I, are any of them juveniles? Uh, the, you know, I, I didn't really see any any juveniles in the data I looked at. I'm, I'm not saying they're not in there, but, um, you know, these these largely look to be to be adults. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Anthony now in San Jose. Welcome. 
Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Mr. Lewis, I read your report in great detail on the CalMatters website, and I have to say it was very detailed, very thorough, and very disturbing, and I hope uh, everyone in government and in authority reads it. Um, and then my second brief comment is that keeping people in, in jail, so many people in jail for so long in the midst of a pandemic where they have not been prioritized for vaccination is really, really immoral. And I think we have a lot to answer for as a society. But my question is uh, the role of bail. Um, what role does bail play or the inability to make bail or pay bail play in the detention of so many people? And do you think the recent Supreme Court decision, the California Supreme Court decision saying that uh, you cannot be held in pretrial detention or jail uh, solely for the inability to pay uh, bail, uh, given the exception that it does not apply in capital cases. What role is, uh, does bail play in the mass detention we see now? Great questions, Anthony. Um, Robert, uh, start with that. About the, There was that decision recently by the state Supreme Court uh, about uh, you know inability to pay bail is not a good enough reason to keep somebody behind bars uh, while they're awaiting trial. What impact is, uh, is that having? Yeah, so I, I guess I would start by saying many, many of many of the individuals who who were in the data that I gathered uh, have bail set. Um, you know, I can't rule out the possibility that that some of them are in also have other holds. Um, so it's it's entirely possible that even if they could make the bail, uh, they they wouldn't be able to get out. Um, you know, the experts that I talk to say, um, while going forward, they expect the the Humphrey decision to to have an impact, um, it's not like it, it sort of throws open the jail doors. Um, you know, the, the attorneys I talked to say that uh, there's going to have to be motions for reconsideration. Um, the, the, the courts, the judges are going to have to figure out how to how to handle those. Um, there is st still some ability. Uh, there is still the ability of judges to consider public safety when deciding whether to release uh, someone. Uh, there's there's questions about the ability to um, uh, make pretrial uh release decisions based on whether or not someone's going to re return to court uh, and, and, you know, so there's a lot of open questions about the yeah. Humphrey decision uh, to, to be sorted out. What about Anthony's point regarding vaccinations? Because we heard a lot earlier, especially during the pandemic, about inmates getting sick, dying, especially in places like uh, the Chino, I think, men's prison and San Quentin prison. Uh, have vaccinations uh, been or, or social distancing? I mean, is that even possible in, in jail? Well, you know, I, what I've heard from advocates, from attorneys, from, from inmates is that uh, jails are just not set up uh, to hold people for long periods of time. The, the conditions are set. There's not gr great outdoor space, if any. Um, there's not the same types of, of programs available. Uh, you know, some of the inmates that I talked to were sort of terrified. They're, they're locked down for large portions of the day um, with nothing to do. They're, they're, you know, one of the individuals I talked to says he did get COVID and, and was suffering. And a lot of people that he knows also got it in there. So, um, you know, it sounds like these... The, the condition, what I heard was in, in many ways, 
prison is a preferable uh, condition to to the local uh, county jail lockup. Yeah, well, and as you pointed out, and I pointed out at the top, uh, jails are really not intended for long sentences. And that was one of the issues uh, of concern that came up after California enacted realignment, uh, where more probation offenders, for example, uh, or parole offenders, rather, uh, would be sent to jail instead of uh instead of prison to help alleviate overcrowding in the state prisons. But uh, it seems like, uh, you know, some of those concerns have actually uh, come to bear. I interviewed a, a gentleman who's a, the brother of um, a woman who was killed in Fresno. And the the man accused of, of the murder has, has been behind bars uh, in the Fresno County lockup for um, nearly 12 years. Wow. All right, let's go back to the phones. And Catherine, uh, you're next. Welcome. Hi, good morning. My name is Kathleen. I'm from Martinez. And thank you for the opportunity to ask a question. How many of these people would qualify for mental health institutions and get be better served if they receive mental health care or addiction care, number one? And number two, are they incarcerated in areas where they're close to their families or are they removed from their families so they don't even, can't even have visitors or are visitors allowed to the jails on a regular basis? Thank you. Yeah, good questions. Thanks, Kevin. Um, uh, yeah, Robert? Yeah, so um, you know, mental health is is a, I think a big driver of of a lot of these cases and and lengthy detentions. I mean, certainly looking through the dockets that I could look through, um, there were very often competency proceedings. So you know, that does seem to be to be an issue. Um, in terms of uh, geography, I mean, presumably the individuals are are locked up in the same county in which they um, they are accused of committing a crime, um, and so to the extent that that county you know, corresponds with where they live, um, it probably would be geographically closer to their family than, than it would be if they were in prison. And, and there is, there is, you know, I think in normal times visitation rights, although, um, you know, for a lot of places because of the pandemic, I, I think it's been much more difficult to have in-person visitation. Yeah, and of course, uh, it's been said that the state corrections system, which would include jails, is really the largest provider of mental health services, which is, and I, it's not at all funny and it's not at all appropriate. I mean, they're not really set up, but so many people who are in jail or prison do have mental health issues, and uh, it's really not the best place to deal with it, especially uh, when those things are exacerbated by things like solitary confinement, right? A absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's go back to the phones. And Paul in San Francisco, you're next. Is it ready? Yeah. Hi, Paul. Go right ahead. Uh, okay. It's a rather trite thing, but I think that six months in, in jail, uh, you automatically get released and you're, you're what you're after. You're, you're innocent. Well, that's not the way it works, but uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm wondering, um, Robert, if, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, some of the, uh, the, the sheriffs and others in law enforcement say it's really the lawyers who are trying to drag this out. And that's one reason that their clients are in jail for so long. But there's also the issue of the quality, especially if they're, you know, public defenders uh, have huge caseloads, they're understaffed, under-resourced. I mean, to what extent do you think that this population is growing in part because there's a shortage of lawyers to represent these uh, defendants? I mean, certainly, I would say everybody I talked to at, at some point came around to the to the resource Hello. issue. 
um, and and raised the raised the point of there not being enough lawyers, not being enough judges, not being enough jurors. Um, so no, definitely. I mean, I, I think. Um, the caseloads of, of many of these defenders is certainly an issue. Um, I've also heard uh, from often, you know, if a, if a defendant changes attorneys at some point, that can um, ca- add some extra delays to a case. So, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why these cases drag out. All right. Um, give out the phone number one more time, 866-733-6786. And let's go now to Rebecca. You're next. Hi, Rebecca. Hi. Um, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm responding to Robert Lewis's comment that one of the main problems leading to mass incarceration is that judges just don't have the complete picture. And I wanted to say that I actually, with my husband, after suffering from some um, the injustice of the justice system personally, started a nonprofit called Complete Picture. And we create videos that humanize individuals being sentenced to prison. The videos are viewed by the judge just prior to deciding the person's sentence. Our first six videos were responsible for a reduction of over 20 years of prison time for the first six defendants and saved taxpayers more than $1.5 million. So um, I just wanted to note that it really does matter that um, we do provide due process. When it's done, it, it, the, the results are phenomenal. And um, just ask people to please go to our website at www.completepicture.org. Feel free to reach out to me directly because um, we really want people to join us in um, creating these videos. All right. Well, thanks very much for those comments. Appreciate that. I'll let that stand. And let's see if we can get another call or two in. And uh, Matthew in Nevada City, welcome. You're next. Hey, how you guys doing? Thank you. And uh, interesting topic. I was just released from jail yesterday after being arrested by a citizen's arrest by a city council member. I've been arrested six times in the last two and a half years for exposing corruption locally here in our town. Our local jail has uh, over 30 federal prisoners being housed in it. And uh, most of the people that I did meet when I go there are drug and alcohol and mental health issues or Crisis Stabilization Unit at our local Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital only has seven beds. It's always full. Somebody was tased there two days ago. So it's just off the hook what's happening to our communities with the type of drugs that are going on. I mean, Hmm. uh, ounces of fentanyl are common now, not grams, ounces. Yeah, Matthew, thanks for thanks for sharing that. And Robert, uh, to what extent are these folks who are in jail that you're that you're uh, reporting about are are they in there related, uh, you know, to drug drug charges? I mean, certainly, certainly some. I, I would say the 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 sig- significantly longer uh, delays are often tied to. Uh, very serious cases, uh, murder, sexual assault, um, you know, cases in which there's a there's a third strike being contemplated. So there's a life sentence. Um, you know, once you start getting down to the say the year year mark, then you you start to see more uh, variety in terms of the types of cases, including a lot of the, the drug cases. Yeah. All right. Well, Robert Lewis from CalMatters, thanks so much for your reporting on this. Again, his report is called "Waiting for Justice." Very important uh, bit of uh, journalism there. Thanks. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.